The events at a rodeo happen fast. From bull riding to team roping, from barrel racing to saddle bronx, everything happens in the blink of an eye. It's a tradition at many rodeos to break up the intensity with entertainment. That's where Bobby Kirk comes in. His job is to give the fans both a chance to catch their breath, then to take their breath away with what he does with his horses and dogs. And Bobby does it well. He performs over a hundred times a year and travels across the country. Hi, I'm John Hare, and you're listening to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. On today's show, we get to know the Mustang man, Bobby Kerr, how he got his start, and you'll hear why he is so respected in the horse industry. Bobby was in town for the Tehachapi Mountain Rodeo, a PRCA event. Bobby works with Mustangs, and my friend and rodeo announcer, Dahl Bunn, knows about my experience starting my Wild Oak Creek horse, Scratch. Dahl invited Scratch and me to meet Bobby at the rodeo grounds. We had fun riding with Bobby in the morning, and he gave me some pointers on some sticky points I struggle with in Scratch's training. Afterward, I sat down with Bobby and talked about his journey. Just a note about the audio. There's no spot on the rodeo grounds that's safe from background noise especially when there are 20 to 30 people preparing the grounds for an upcoming rodeo. The place was a buzz. You might hear an occasional bulldozer, water truck, welder, or trailer going by. It's all just part of the show. Bobby's story starts in a place not exactly known for horses, cowboys, or mustangs. Yeah, when I was a kid, uh, you know, I was born in a little town in uh, Ridgeville, Ontario, Canada. Not what you would say cowboy country, but uh, just up the road from me lived uh, Tom Bishop and uh, his sister and brother-in-law, Chuck and Lorna Elliott, and, and they had the 4B Ranch Rodeo and Wild West shows. And uh, I was a little kid delivering TV guys and I'd be riding my bicycle by there, and I'd see all them uh, camped out there in between rodeos, you know. And anyhow, my brother started cleaning stalls up there, so I got to going in there with him, and and I just loved it. I got to uh, hang there. Two years later, when I was ten, he let me ride my first horse, you know. And you know, I was just eat up with it. Wanted to be a cowboy, and I kept working for Chuck Elliott. He he uh, he was my Roy Rogers. He was a sign painter by trade, uh, cowboy. He could train pretty much any animal to do anything. The Bishop's 4B Wild West Show began in 1914, and Bobby was in good hands learning from the Bishops and the Aylets. The 4B Show still operates today. Bobby was fascinated with the energy of the Wild West Show, especially Chuck's Whip and Gun Act. This was an exciting time for the would-be trainer who would become a showman. Bobby worked for Aylet for a few years until one day, when he was 14, he hatched an idea to make the big time. Still at about 14, I was working for him. And uh, he had a horse come in. And on the back of the registration papers, it said Cletus Hulling, Smithton, Illinois. And he proceeded to tell me about Cletus. He said, this guy's probably the biggest horse trader there is. And he keeps six, 800 head of horses down there at his place. And he hires hands to 
to uh, gives them a string, and people go there to buy, you know, horses. And the whole time he was telling me about this man, I thought, man, if I really want to be a cowboy, that's where I ought to go. So uh, after he got telling us about this horse and those papers, and he put them back in his office drawer, and and uh, when he left, I went and pulled them papers back out and wrote down that name, Cletus Hullings, Smithton, Illinois. And uh, I went to the barn, my buddy Herman was in there cleaning stalls, and I said, I'm fixing to run off. <laughs> I said, you want to go with me? I was 14 years old, 14. and he, he was 16. Herman had just got a 1960 Chevrolet, and I had just happened to sell my Appaloosa horse for, I think it was 650 That was a ton of money for a 14-year-old kid. And uh, I had that cash and a little Tupperware thing downstairs in my mama's freezer. So we dipped into that cash. He got his truck, and I think I paid for the insurance, and we got some plywood, and we started building a camper on the back. <laughs> we put little bunk beds in there and everything, and we, which we told my folks we were going to go rodeos, what we were telling them why we were building it. But in reality, we were going to Illinois. And uh, so we got everything all done, and Labor Day weekend, come up and out right after that was when school started up there. So we told them we were going to a rodeo, which we did. And uh, then we headed for Buffalo, New York, and we told them at the border we were going to a Western store over there to get us some Wranglers <laughs> in Hamburg, New York. And anyhow, we got across that border, hollered yee-haw and got the map out and <laughs> headed for Illinois, you know. And uh, we got to Illinois. I never seen so many horses as this place. And I asked uh, Cletus for a job, and he was uh, just leaving to go to some horse sales in uh, Clovis, New Mexico, and Texarkana, I think. He was going to be gone, I don't know, a couple weeks, 10 days, something like that. And he said, if, if you kids are here when I get back, he said, I'll talk. So we just camped out there, and we got to know the people that worked. And Herman, the guy that went with me, he really couldn't ride a lick. And and I rode pretty good. And so we were trying to teach him how to ride. And anyhow, uh, Cletus came back. He couldn't believe we were still there. So he told them to put us on some horses and have us go ride in front of them, in front of the office there. And so he hired us. $50 a week and a trailer to live in. Before Bobby goes on with his story, let me tell you what I recently learned about Cletus Hullings. I came across a post on a message board that describes the Hullings operation in Illinois. Let me just read a bit of it to you. Clint Haverty writes, I worked for Cletus for about six years in the late 60s and into the mid 70s when he was in Smithton, Illinois. When I worked for him, we would have 750 plus in the summertime on hand and around 450 in the wintertime. Ship at least a semi-load a week and receive the same. Some days we would have dealers come in and I'd sort the pasture geldings and we'd show them in and buy. Ride them for about three or four minutes apiece. Some were a little juicy. We had anywhere from 50 to 150 mares and geldings on full feed under some big sheds two year and up, 
fat, slick, and we're sure bronchy. We kept about 80 in stalls, rainers, cutters, ropers, pleasure horses, etc. We had kids come in to go to work, go to lunch, and would never be seen again. Just about every trainer who's 50 plus has been influenced by Cletus one way or another. He was a good man. And it was signed, Clint Haverty. And it must be true, because Cletus Sr. is in the NCHA Hall of Fame. His children have won over $1.6 million in NCHA earnings. Cletus Hullings Jr. has over 500000 and his sister Barbara Schulte has won over 800000 Barbara is also in the Cowgirl Hall of Fame. Now that you know a little more about Cletus, let's get back to Bobby's story. So we started working, and, and I got feeling bad about my folks worrying about me. I kind of left them on a little goose chase, leading them to believe I went to Western Canada with a note I left. And uh, so they had the RCMP looking for me, everybody's oh <laughs> looking for me, and I was supposed to be in school and didn't show up, you know. And, now, wait, and, was uh, this a ploy to just not go to school? Do you hate school that much? Or? Uh, yeah, I did hate school. So. I didn't have a bad home life. I hated school and wanted to be a cowboy. There you go. So I wrote my mother a postcard from Illinois telling her I had a job and I was okay and I might see her in the spring. Apparently she got that postcard and went up to Chuck's, who I worked for, trying to figure out where I was. When he saw Smithton, Illinois on that postcard, he said, I know exactly where they're at. And... Uh, so my mom and dad showed up in Smithton, Illinois one morning. After explaining to Cletus that Bobby was only 14, not 16, and that the boys had ditched school to come to the States, his parents drove him back to Canada that day. What happened next would change the course of Bobby's life. He was hauled into the principal's office in the hopes of talking some sense into the young man. But Bobby had a taste of what he really wanted and there was no going back. He found an ally in the last place he expected. We got home and uh, she had the principal of the school, Principal Hogue, come to our house and tell me that I had to go to school. And I remember him asking me if I had a nice holiday and I said, well, yeah, I guess if you want to call it that, but I had a job, I was working, you know. I was pretty proud of myself. He said, well, you, you just can't do that yet. you got to stay here and go to school. And I said, well, when you all turn your back, I'm, I'm leaving, you know. you all going to slip and I'm going to be gone because I done had a taste of it and that's what I want to do. You know, my mother said, no, you're not. You're going to school. And anyhow, I guess I got pretty convincing and, and the principal said, well, you know, he does know what he wants to do and most kids don't. I believe he will go, and he kind of convinced my mother, my dad, to let me go, and uh, the next day, they took me to Buffalo, New York, and put me on a Greyhound bus, and I was headed back to Illinois. I got to Belleville, Illinois, uh, by bus. I took a taxi from there to Smithton. And I remember getting out of that taxi in front of Cletus's office. He was trying to sell a horse to somebody. I had my suitcases and a couple hats on my head. And 
He said, I'll be goddamn. <laughs> Son, get on this horse and spin him around and see if them folks will like him or not, you know. And uh, I worked for Cletus for a year and saw a lot of stuff go on, you know, uh, good and bad. Working for Cletus, Bobby now had his foot in the door of the horse world. While working in Illinois, Bobby met cutting horse trainer Jerry Green from Tyler, Texas. Anxious to learn more about performance horses, Bobby gave up his $50 a week job with Cletus in exchange for $25 a week and a move to Texas. For the next few years, Bobby spent winters in Texas learning how to train and ride show horses, then summers in Canada trying to build his own training business. He kicked around the rodeo circuit trying to make a dollar or two. He had ridden horses for Gene and Dale Purdy when they lived in Canada, and when they moved to Hico, Texas, Bobby followed. He showed the Purdy's horses, and in 1985, Bobby was the champion in the AQHA Senior Cutting Honor Roll. Cowboys and horse trainers rarely make a living all in one place. Bobby was good with his hands and liked building things. He created a sideline business making custom western furniture. Traveling around the country, taking orders at horse shows and rodeos, Bobby did well for nearly 20 years. Cheap imports and competition squeezed the business and Bobby kicked around looking for the next deal. He was running his own trucking business when a friend told him about the Mustang Makeover program run by the BLM. At first, Bobby had no interest, but when he saw what those horses could do, it rocked his world. My buddy Jeff Payne that builds bits and spurs, he had been trying to get me to go watch this Mustang Makeover in Fort Worth for two or three years. And I thought Mustangs were just little wiry ponies that run wild and weren't no account. That's the impression I had in my head, so I, I just didn't go. In 2010, he bought us tickets and said, y'all are going. Y'all got to go watch this. So he took uh, Susan and I, and, and I was blown away at how nice those horses were, how broke they were, what a good job those trainers done. And, and then when they got to the finals, they had a three-and-a-half-minute freestyle to do whatever they wanted to do to show off this horse. And I thought, you know, going back to my roots, when I used to work for Chuck, that Wild West show, that's the way I always used to think. You know? Yeah, right. And uh, the other thing that also inspired me to take a hand at it was, number one, I was flat broke. I was kind of getting tired of the trucking thing. It paid $50,000 for 120 days work. For as little as $200 you were in, and that was one thing about in the cutting horse world, you know, you, you had to pay lots of money for a good prospect. Right. Um, you had big entry fees, you know, 2500 bucks to enter the fraternity then, and, and then all the hauling and the cattle and going to these pre-works, you know, it's just pretty much a game I couldn't afford to play. Bobby finally found a game he could play, and he was right back in the horse business. I thought, man, I think I'm going to try this. Yeah. You know? So that was in September. I parked my truck 
Thanksgiving weekend, and I started riding horses again, you know, I could see some of these people lay down a horse and crack a whip. I had no idea how to do all that. So I started riding colts again and experimenting. We bought the horses for the Mustang makeover on RFD TV in April. We got a DVD you could order of the horses you had to pick from. So there was about 200 head of horses on that DVD. And we got that about Christmas. So I had watched that DVD, you know, a hundred times. And I knew every horse in on there, you know, and I had, you know, 10 or 12 picked out that I wanted to bid on. So, uh, come time for the sale, I had 1500 bucks to spend. I thought, surely I'm going to find something for 1500 bucks. Well, these horses that I like started coming up on the TV screen, you know, lot number so-and-so and so-and-so, and like the first one brings... That I kind of like bring 1100 Yeah, that's good. And then the next one, you know, brings 3500 I go, golly. Oh. And then next, another guild brings 2500 And then one brings 4400 And, you know, they're, they're, all the ones I like are getting out of my reach. The mares wasn't bringing nothing. And I had looked at a couple mares. There's a little buckskin mare, dun mare, that I liked quite a bit. And I thought, you know, if... I, the, the horse that I really wanted was near the end of the sale. And I was thinking, I might not can afford him. So I'm going to buy, try to buy this mare first in case I don't, so I don't wind up with nothing. nothing right. So I bought this mare for 200 bucks. And uh, then I changed from my favorite horse to another horse that I thought wasn't going to bring that much money, but looked like a good using type horse, you know, if you got him trained. So I went to bidding on him, you know, five, six, seven hundred. I thought he was kind of stalling there. I thought I was going to get him. Well, hell, then he took off. Fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, you know, and he got on up there. And I should have quit, but I bought that rascal for twenty-seven hundred bucks. <laughs> Plus the mare for two hundred. I was way over my budget. <laughs> and uh, so I uh, Got on the phone and I called some friends of mine. I said, I got a deal for y'all. I said, I spent more than I could handle. I need to raise, you know, some money, about 1500 bucks. And uh, I said, if you'll pitch in 500 bucks, if I do any good, I'll give you 10%. So it really wasn't a loan. It was you know, an investment for them guys. So all three of them said, hell yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah. It, it worked good, and I got the horses paid for. Thanks to his friends, Bobby has his horses paid for. Now, all he has to do is pick up his horses and start the training process. He's told his horses are at the BLM Center in Paul's Valley, Oklahoma. Bobby drives up from Texas, and that's where the story takes another strange twist. A month later, we go to pick the horses up at the closest BLM facility. For us, that was Pulse Valley, Oklahoma. And like I said, I had looked at that DVD so many times, I knew my horses. We got up there and they were uh, trotting them horses down the alley to my trailer at the chute. And I saw this, I saw the buckskin mare, I saw this bay horse come, and I said, 
God dang, that don't look like the horse I bought. Horse I bought was kind of lean and, you know, had a tail dragging the ground and and uh, mane on the left side, I think, and uh, a white foot on. I said, that that's not my horse. And they said, whoa, wait a minute, you know, and they checked the tag and the, his freeze brand. They said, yeah, it is. I said, no, it ain't. And so we kind of, I said, you want them or not? And I said, I want the horse I bought. You know, that's a lot of money. Yeah. So they got the uh, a copy of this auction. where I said, you watch that sale, and you'll see this ain't the same horse. Real close, though. Markings. And uh, anyhow, they went in there and watched it, and they come out, and they said, sure enough, that's, not, that's a different horse. And, and we... Really can't find your horse, you know. Finally, I said, if I take this horse, you know, what's he going to cost? And they said, well, if you'll take him, it won't cost you nothing. We'll give your money back that you spent on that other one and just take this one, you know, minimum. And uh, I said, okay. So I went home. That was Friday. And I started messing with him. In the round pen. Saturday, I got on them. Monday morning, I was driving a cow on them in the big pen. I love this horse. And so I called him Thursday, and, and uh, Callie said, well, We can't find that horse. We don't know what happened. And uh, I said, Well, you know, I done fell in love with this other pen. <laughs> I said, you know, just forget about him. Just send me my money back. I'll take a stab at this horse, <laughs> which I knew. He that turns out to be Poncho, the horse oh. I'm using now. Wow. So we got to the uh, uh, show. You know, I'd never been there. I didn't know what to expect. You know, they have a trail class, and they had raining, and they had working cow horse. And I think there was 80-something in my division. Come out in the trail class, started first. And I won it on the mare, and I was second with Poncho. And uh, then we come back in the raining. I think I was fourth on the mare, and tenth or something on Poncho. And uh, then we come back in the working cow horse. And I won, I won the working cow horse on Poncho, and I was ninth or tenth on the mare. So when we went into the finals, let's see, I went in there with the mayor, I think, first. And I did this swinging bridge act. And I had an old 46 International. She was riding in the back. And and I think everybody was thinking, like, who in the hell is this guy? Where did he come <laughs> from? You know, because I had my little Wild West show, you right, know. Right. And, and uh, I went to rope a yearling off that mare, which I'd rope plenty off of her, and I missed. So that didn't help me. But she did the bridge act and, you know, rode in the back of the truck. It was, it was pretty cool. And then Poncho, I come in riding a, a surfboard yeah, yeah. Uh, behind him. And uh, then I got on him and, and I roped a yearling and drug it aways. And then I took his bridle off and spun him around and, and uh, laid him down and shot a shotgun. And then I jumped him in the back of that old truck and stood on him. Cracked a whip, you know, and rode around, and and 
I'd won the freestyle part of it, but there's compulsories to that too. Oh. And again, you don't know, you know, like I said, I, I'd never done it. Hell, I didn't know, you know what right. you're supposed to do. It's basically like a rain and like a, like a dummy. I did it without a bridle. I thought, well, they're going to really like this. You yeah. Know, well, I went in there and I did the whole reining with a bridle. He'd have done better with a bit, but I did it bridleless, you know. Thinking you were going to impress them. Thinking I was going to blow their skirt up, you know. But you're judged on each maneuver, you know. It didn't matter if you had a bit on or not. So I probably shot myself in the foot. But anyhow, I wound up fourth on Poncho and fifth on the mare after you add everything together. And uh, I was fan favorite, which that was a $5,000 bonus. I won about $15,000. Bobby had laid it all on the line and had come away from his first Mustang makeover a winner. The months of surviving on peanut butter sandwiches, working dust to dawn, training outside horses in the Texas heat to make ends meet, had paid off. And before he even makes it home, Bobby is planning for next year. Winning that 15000 bucks was just, you know, wow. <laughs> you know, I hadn't seen fifteen grand in a long time. And uh, so I was all jacked up, ready for the next year. And uh, we're driving home, you know, from that event. My wife said, what are you going to do next year? How are you going to top that, you know? I said, well, I got an idea. I'm going to find me an old car. And I want to teach that horse jump over that car and, and sit down and ride around with that <laughs> car. You know? She says, you're flipping crazy. You know? And how much had you been drinking when yeah, this idea came that's up? That's kind of what she was saying. <laughs> so, I mean, right then, I'm on my phone on Craigslist looking for old cars. And uh, I found the car. Just perfect what I wanted. And, and the next day, we went back to Dallas to look at this car. It didn't run. It was 36 Chevrolet, little humpback, two-door coupe. And uh, Dallas policeman had it. He wanted, I think, $1,100 for it. Well, I didn't even have my winnings check. I still <laughs> broke. And I said, you know, if you've got it when I get my check, it'd, be, it'd probably be about a month. I said, I'll come and I'll, I'll buy this car. He said, I want it, you know. He said, okay, it's yours. I got home and a couple of my friends that, from Fort Worth that had been coming down and watching me train, Poncho and Lefty were the two Mustangs. They're really into it. They they really enjoyed watching me train. Well, I told them that I'd found this car and what I was going to do. I said, when I get my check, I'm going to go buy that car and see if I can get it done, you know. They said, oh, that sounds good. You know, let me see that car, you know. So I sent them a link to the ad, you know. Well, the next weekend, here they come to my place with that car on the trailer. <laughs> they went and bought that car for me, and they said, okay, wow. let's see you do it. I put that car in my shop, and I got my saws all, and my cutting torch, and I cut the roof off, and I worked on that car all winter, building this car, getting it running, and painting it, and doing all that. With a picture in his mind of how he wanted his freestyle to go, with the car modified and almost ready to roll, Bobby just needed the perfect horse. Once again, he studied the videos of the horses looking for the athleticism 
and heart he needed to compete. He watched the videos over and over again to be absolutely sure of his choice. But picking a horse when it's right in front of you is tough enough. Picking one from a video can be tricky business. The next spring again, here's the auction on RFD TV again. Same deal, I knew all these horses. Come around time for the sale, and there's this one horse. I thought he was the best horse of all. Didn't think there's no way I could afford him, but I had saved some of my winnings, you know, and, and uh, even had some guys that wanted to jump in with right. me again because those guys, the first year that gave me 500 bucks, they each got a check for $1,500. That there was 10% of what I won, you know. So they're wanting back in that too. So, But I got this horse bought. And uh, he would run across in that video, you know, and just stop and draw and squat and move back just like a cutter, you know. And I'm like, oh, dang, look at him move, you know. Anyhow, I got him. Went to pick him up. He didn't look as good as he did in the, in the sale. None of the horses did. They wintered poorly. But anyway, we got him home, and I got in the round pen. And uh, after going through what I was going through to get him saddled, I, I, I realized the way he run across there and stopped and drawed back and went through himself was because he was half blind. He saw shadows. He had scar tissue on the back of both eyes. Had a lightning fast roundhouse kick. I mean, he was dangerous to be around. If you snuck up on him, he, was, he would fire. We wound up calling him Maypop because he made pop you when he walked <laughs> by. But he had talent out the wazoo. I learned how to get around him and how to work with him. And, and uh, after... You know, a couple weeks, I had him where he'd lay down and he'd sit. Pretty soon, I had him where he'd get in that car and he'd sit down. After 90 days, I had this horse where I could ride him pretty much anywhere with just a string around his neck. And he'd jump in that car and ride around and, and uh, work a cow. And So anyhow, we got to the competition. I can't remember. In the trail, we didn't do that good. I mean, we were like 15th or 17th just because... Of his blindness, you know, he always had to look, look. and check out stuff, you know, and real hesitant, you yeah. know. He did really well in working cow horse. I forget why I had a terrible cow, but he run and gathered them up, did good. So we made the finals. The compulsoraries, he did real well. I done figured that out. And we won the compulsoraries. He had pretty lead changes, big stop, big turnaround. He was good. And then uh, for the Freestyle, they they want you to use music. It's to music right. and the timing and, you know. And so to get my timing right, I had a band, live music, so they could adjust with me rather than me keeping up with a, a CD of music, you know. I thought, well, the timing will be perfect then. And so we had rehearsed a couple times. And it was, you know, a, a banjo picker and a couple fiddles and a stand-up bass, you know. And, and uh, I had my music. It was kind of uh, 
you know, country and when you sit down in the car, they played the Beverly Hillbillies, you know, it was all time. Perfect, yeah. So when I pulled that car in and I took the bridle off of my pop and loped him around with a string and stopped and spun him and that then I laid him down and shot a shotgun and and then he got in that car and, and sit down. You know, that crowd went nuts. Yeah. When I started that car, I didn't even know if it was running because I couldn't <laughs> hear it. And when I drove off, you know, then folks didn't think that car run to begin with. And when I drove off and he rode around, I mean, they really went nuts. And Mary Miller Jordan and I were the last two. And, and uh, when they called her for reserve and I knew I won it, it was the best feeling I ever had in my life. You know, because I knew, you know, the accomplishment with with a blind horse, basically, and uh, us being, again, broke, and, you know, I just won 50000 and they, they announced a fan favorite, and I won it, too, on top of that, so, and my wife showed another horse, and she had been third in the idols division, won another 6300 Now, we ain't ever seen money like that, yeah. you know, and, and Word spread quickly about Bobby's skill at training these Mustangs. Because he was using the car, swinging bridge, and putting on a show, the phone started ringing. Rodeos hired Bobby to perform and the bookings were filling up. Then news came out that the 2013 Mustang makeover would have a million dollar purse. National Geographic and the ABC network would document the event in film. Bobby got four horses for the million-dollar makeover. Nat Geo Wild, ABC, was filming a show called Mustang Millionaire. Oh, yeah, and they followed that. myself and five other people, six yeah. of us, from the auction, the day of the auction, right from us going up and down the alleys, picking out these horses, you know. Everywhere we went, there's a camera, you know. And uh, I bought four head of horses wanting to train too, you know, just better my odds, and I uh, wound up with uh, Jingle Bob, a gray gilded, and, uh -huh. and Trigger, the Palomino, and another gray horse that I really didn't like, wasn't going to get along with, but my wife and daughter kind of took over him. And the other horse I had was actually my favorite horse, but he wasn't Sam. About once a month, the, the TV crew would come down and film our our progress and you know and it was a lot of fun you know we went to the competition and I mean it talking tough now there was 200 is that right yeah there was 200 in, in my division at that and uh, you know it was either when it come down to it Tom Hagwood or me and the place was just packed, sold out. The electricity in that building was unbelievable. I mean, it was unbelievable. Tom wound up winning it. We couldn't catch him because of how good he did in his compulsories. I was second with Trigger, third with Jingle Bob. Dan James was in there, and Wiley and Wilson was in there. I mean, it was just all great. And uh, when it was all said and done, I think I won 173,000 bucks. Yeah. And my daughter won the freestyle event. 
they had other single classes too. Mm-hmm. She won that with that gray horse that I didn't like that changed my daughter's life. So she went a buckle in five thousand bucks. Is that drifter? That's drifter. And uh, you know, then the phone really went to ringing, and then that show came out somewhere around Christmas time. You know, so that was a three-part miniseries, and and actually in promotion of that show, because I did the best of anybody that they were following, they sent me to be on Good Morning America. So Poncho and and I in the car and, and, and my family, we drove to New York City, and I basically started at the end of the block and drove up to ABC Studios with Poncho sitting in the car (laughs) and got interviewed on Good Morning America. You know, you just can't buy that kind of popularity, you know. And, and, uh, you know, so then we had bookings and, and, you know, I was performing at rodeos and went straight to, you know... uh, Stephenville and Weatherford and Hempstead, PRCA rodeos, and and because I'd kind of got it started the year before with Maypop, I already right. had my permit to go do PRCA, and I got Denver National Western Stock Show. And but how many know, shows do you do a year now? Over a hundred. Hundred shows. A hundred performances. Bobby has earned the right to be called the Mustang Man. He started this journey to show off these horses in the finals. He wanted the public to know how well-trained you can get a wild horse. It's all because of trying to come up with a way to show the Mustang off and that finals is what has led into the rodeo performances. And, uh, you know, basically what I do now is I go from rodeo to rodeo and my routine is to show the public in a wild west show kind of way how well trained you can get a wild horse even kids like it when they see a horse sit in a car and me go out there and shoot my guns and the horse sits up you know uh, cowboys like it because they see the horsemanship you know lead changes and roping and you know getting a horse broke Tree huggers like it because I saved a horse. I help get a, horses adopted, and I, I tell a poem, and I talk to people, and kind of tell the history of the Mustang, and lots of times they come and find me out at the motorhome or after the performance and want to know more about the Mustangs, how to adopt one. It's totally changed our life. I mean, totally changed our life. Now... I basically get to go RVing and ride my horses and get a paycheck. I mean, it's just, I absolutely love it. I got to tell you, when I see people like Bobby Kerr perform, it ticks me off a little. I keep it inside, but it does tick me off a little. Much like watching a magician, I want to know how he does it. What's the secret to his magic? Bobby makes horsemanship look way too easy. His horses glide and go wherever he asks. In the course of editing a podcast, I'll listen to an interview minimum of six times, but it's often 10 or 12, even more. I'm trying to adjust sound levels, where to edit, and I re-listen 
over and over again. It's one of the reasons I've cut back on my production. You have to have your hands on a pretty good story. Well, listening to Bobby tell his story led me to believe there is no secret to his magic. He knew what he wanted to do when he was 12. He wanted to be a cowboy and ride a horse. Like a cowboy, he got the job done, some way, somehow, with little money and a lot of imagination and ingenuity. And it's fitting that he's now linked to the American Mustang. The two have survived the harsh environment of the West by making magic together. You can find out more about Bobby Kerr on Facebook and bobbykerrmustang.com. If he comes to a rodeo near you, go see him. I guarantee you'll have a good time. And when he reads his poem, maybe even a few goosebumps. I truly enjoyed the time we got to spend together. Thanks, Bobby. As always, you can find all the links in the show notes at woepodcast.com. Thanks for listening to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. You can find all our shows on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. There are over 100 episodes now. If you have comments or suggestions, shoot me an email to john at woepodcast.com. So until next time, for Renee, this is John Hare saying, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>